0: I'm always wrestling with never-ending to-do lists. Thankfully, I came across Llama Life, a productivity tool that helps me smash my tasks. I use Llama Life to create lists and timebox actions like emails and creating presentations. It's amazing how long you actually stay in your inbox. If you want a new approach with your never-ending to-do list, jump onto Llama Life. Use the code THRIVELAMA20 to receive 20% off the Extra Focus membership. You can find further details in the episode description. Llama Life also has a free version, which people can start using straight away. You can even try the premium features for seven days, a whole week. Think how much you will get done, and who doesn't like something for free? Check it out, and get your llama on. (laughs) I have a monkey mind which means I get distracted and lose my thoughts easily. So I'd like to talk to you about Notion, a productivity software that allows you to track projects and the other cool stuff. I've been using Notion for about a year now and have loved the freedom it gives me in my business. I'm a proud Notion affiliate as it is my one-stop shop for the back end of my business and my brain when I'm not using my brain. Does that make sense? I didn't think so. (laughs) See what I mean by a monkey mind? (laughs) I use Notion as a database and a way to track my programs, clients, and projects. If you're looking for a digital tool for your team, personal use, or business, you can check it out on our affiliate link in the episode description. Start today and get organized for tomorrow. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by first acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land of which we recorded this podcast, and extend our respect to elders, past, present, and emerging. James Wazbowski, welcome to the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast.
1: Thank you. Cheers, Tarson.
0: I think that's the first time I've actually called you by your full name.
1: <laughs> Most people be like, who's that? Because yeah. I never get called by my real name. But anyway. You've got
0: a few nicknames, don't you?
1: Many. Yeah, a lot. Mm. I get um, confused or I forget and people... Say my name and, yeah, I can't keep track. But Mm. it's probably a good thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Now, listeners, um, I know, James, um, we're good mates. We go surfing together a lot down here on the peninsula. But you're in a career that I find personally super interesting and fascinating. So every time, you know, we go for a surf or something, I'm always like, oh, you know, what's going on? And um, can you introduce yourself to everyone and what you do essentially for work?
1: Yeah, this is sort of the hardest part of my job is that 99% of people that I tell what I do, it, it's uh, they get immediately the incorrect idea. <laughs> so we go, oh, what do you do for work? I go, oh, I'm a, a sailor or I race sailing boats. And they just didn't even know that was a thing. And uh, so it's quite hard. Or, or I say that and they think I'm in the Navy or they think I'm skipping a charter boat in Croatia or, you know, all the wrong ideas. Basically what I do is... I race the fastest sailing boats in the world, and there's a circuit that goes around the world. It's called the Sail GP, and the easiest thing to compare it to is the Formula One. So uh, we have events in different locations. It's not like the Sydney to Hobart, or you know, we're not sailing across oceans. We just go to a city, and the event sets up. We do our racing over the weekend, and uh, it's a big event, and then you know it all packs up, goes to the next location. So yeah, essentially, I race a 50-foot catamaran, that's a boat with two hulls, and these days they have the technology to make yachts fly above the water. So as soon as, uh, it was about 13, or about, yeah, uh, maybe 10 years ago, they invented this technology that now allows yachts to fly above the water, and as soon as they did that, boats instantly went three, four times faster than they've ever been before. So it was really cool. Time for the sport. And so what I do is I, now that the boats fly above the water, my job is to fly it. So, so you're a pilot, kind of. A pilot, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, flying a boat, I reckon, is easier than flying a plane. Yeah, Because okay. <laughs> I can only go within one metre above the water or we crash. Whereas yeah. with a plane, you get a little more leeway. But so essentially what I do is I fly the boat in terms of keeping it up out of the water yep. at the right height. And I've got five other people in the yacht with me and we're all required to be highly active all the time to make the boat go, go as fast as it can and not crash. So, yeah, my technical name is on the boat is I'm the flight controller.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Now, when you mean
0: flying, so you know, I immediately think, oh, the boat's just just hovering above the water. So, what what allows it to hover? So, for for listeners to who are very foreign to sailing,
1: yeah. So it's it's a normal looking catamaran i guess you would say but we have these carbon uh foils that go into the water so we got one on the back of the boat on the the rudder and one in the middle of the boat and if once we hit a certain speed we can take off um those foils generate lift which makes the boat then sort of rise up out of the water and then once that hull is not in the water anymore the drag is like almost completely gone and the boat just shoots off way Mm. faster than it was previously going so we can do four times the speed of the wind wow which is which is quite crazy to think of and yeah top speed's 100 kilometers an hour so if you've got a mate with a ski boat or a powerboat chances are it does not go 100 k's an hour or, or 55 knots which is our record at the moment so it's very very quick we have our chase boats um Big 30, 35 foot ribs with uh, 600 horsepower can't keep up when we're sort of hitting our top speed. So it's incredibly quick and um, it's super cool. Yeah. And uh, I guess the other strange thing about our boats is we don't have a normal soft sail like you see on, on most boats. We have a wing like what you'd see out the out the side of an aeroplane. Mm-hmm. So we have this solid wing instead of a sail, which also makes us go much faster. So yeah
0: wild wild and so two questions man so so with the with the boats currently now like how fast is that technology advancing is it like next season there'll be new tech on the boat or is it like has it kind of reached its limit do you feel or
1: yeah so it's certainly incrementally getting faster each year uh, you know this year the record at the moment is 100 Ks now maybe next year they bring some more updates and we could do maybe 105 k's an hour. But certainly in 2013, when this technology really got under control uh, and the boats yeah did two, three times faster than they were, was quite a significant day or period of time, I should say, where, um, yeah, I mean, the whole sport just completely changed. And at that time, I was in the in the right type of sailing and had the right skill set and was on somewhat that curve of sailing and then I've been able to sort of stay with that new technology and, um, and yeah, sort of stay on the front of this development that's happening.
0: Yeah, fantastic, man. And so how does one become a flight controller? And I'm sure, like, you know, I'm we actually went to that same high school too, so <laughs> I'm wondering if, like, you sat down with, like, the careers counsellor in high school and were like, yeah, I'm going to be a flight controller.
1: Yeah, was <laughs> wasn't wasn't on the list of jobs on the printout that I got
0: <laughs> What were the ones that were on the printout, can you
1: remember? I think Ski Patrol was at the top, yep. which I was pretty stoked about And then uh, I don't think I even read past that because I just was like, sweet, Walked that though
0: that. <laughs> Dude, that's way cooler than mine, I got like a shepherd and like a, <laughs> a
1: priest <laughs> Perfect <laughs> Wild <laughs> um, Yeah, so I... What is um, very cool about sailing is how fast it changes And so if you want to be a soccer player, football player, whatever it is You grow up and you can see where you need to get to You can see the path and exactly how to get there and what you need to do And, and probably a reasonably good idea at a fairly young age if you're going to get there Yeah, cool if You know, if you want to be a basketball player and you get to 17 years old and you're 5 foot 6 Well then, you know, you probably got the answers that you need But... What what is cool about sailing is it's it's probably more relative to somewhat motorsport or being a musician or something where our kind of like peak age you know where you would expect a peak in your career is probably like mid thirties yeah so at school and certainly when I was sixteen or seventeen I being even a professional sailor you know earning money through sailing and having that as my career was not even really on the cards I was sailing and. I was okay, like, you know, maybe almost in the state team sort of thing. Yep. Um, so I was all right, but certainly I would say 80% of the people I sail with now, or maybe 70, 80%, 70, were, you know, competing overseas and probably had won a, a youth world title and things like yeah, that, that at that age. So sailing is a sport where you can, um, in my case, really put your head down at the age of 17, 18, 19 and catch up and progress fast enough, um, as it turns out, to to sort of get to the top level, which, as I said, wasn't on my radar till I was 20, probably 20 years old. I I sort of thought that that is somewhere that I could go, but, yeah. That's cool. And so
0: through that period of when you were, like, 16 to 20, were you just kind of obviously doing school and being like, I love sailing, I want to try and push this as hard as I can and and just get better and and have fun with it. Or did you have like we like the goal is to be a professional sailor?
1: Yeah. So certainly, um, I think something that is slightly different with me than most people is I could never see past the next step. Okay. So I remember in year ten walking around school and stuff and just thinking like I was obsessed with surfing and snowboarding and sailing and things like that. And I just remember thinking, oh, if you could be a professional athlete in any sport it would be epic. Like, yeah. and I got really fixated on just do, doing a career that I just absolutely loved, like doing something that I would do for free yeah. and making a career out of it. I got really like obsessed with this idea and um, really sort of, took me over and I guess that really flowed through when I finished school and could move to a location that allowed me to sail sort of a lot more and get better and stuff. But, um, yeah, I was—I was, I never had the goal of like, oh, I want to go to the Olympics or mm. I want to race on the top sailing circuit in the sail GP or whatever it um, might have been. I was always just focused on the next thing and I just thought, oh, if I could get – be a you know, professional athlete and anything would be sick and my best chance of that is probably sailing. And so I just went – Total tunnel vision on sailing With no goal other than getting as good as I could and, and winning whatever it was That I could win in the boat that I was sailing at that time yep. And then, you know the Snowball has started and it's rolling down the hill And it, you know, it gets bigger and bigger And But yeah, f- for probably at least four or five years It was never had any awareness of anything past My immediate next goal, I guess
0: Yeah, cool, cool And so when you get to that age bracket of like like mid 20s or like 20 to 25 that's when things are really starting to ramp up in your sailing career and you're getting some some different opportunities cuz i'm assuming it's as you said like motorsport where you have like different boat classes and so i'm assuming you have to kind of straddle between different classes to get exposure and things like that
1: yeah exactly and i think Probably most of us have had this period in our lives where, you know, you're 19 or 20, you've got no money, you don't care about anything, like you got nothing to lose. Yeah, and you just—that's me every day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the, and so I'm sure some of the most successful people in the world like just run that mentality. Yep. for their whole lives, yep. and it I it's amazing when people can do that because certainly as you go through life and you gather slightly more stuff and you've got something to lose your perspective changes Mm. and it's extremely difficult to keep that as like just going all in reinvesting in yourself doing everything you can to to achieve whatever it is you want but yeah certainly when i was yeah early 20s we um we sort of made it to like the development australian team sort of thing and we went um it's, you know, when you're young, you do stuff that you would, as I said, never do now. Like we we went to Europe to go racing. We just lived in the car for to like 10 weeks. Wow. We just lived. It was, it's the most bizarre thing. We we sent a bunch of emails and, and this is one thing I've always done is I've never been shy to just send emails, ask questions, try and leverage contacts to get help um, to, you know, it's all about relationships and there's always people that are willing to help someone who as i said has like gone all in and doesn't care and really wants to give it a nudge so we we sent some emails we sort of someone gave us a boat to race in europe and we just like rented a renault megane wagon we looked at the photos on the on the rental website and it looked like the seats kind of folded pretty flat it was hard <laughs> to tell from the angle so, oh yeah, seats fall flat, we'll just live in the car, it's fine. Like Fantastic. Stuff you would never do in your own country. But when you're in you get overseas for the first time, you're like, you don't Anything care does. what anyone thinks. Yep. And so we flew over, I think it was on Eddie Had, we like, we stole the the little blankets they give you on the plane. We're like, oh we can use these as blankets so when we sleep in the back of the car. We pick up the the um, the Renault Megane in Munich or something, and immediately we fold the seats in, and there's a huge step in the boot. There's like a gap, I don't know, like 20 centimetre step in the boot. And the seats do not fold flat. They're like on this huge angle. And so we get in the car and we're driving to our first event. Who's we, sorry? Uh, Me and the person that I was racing with at the time. It was a two-person boat. Yeah. And so we're driving to the first event and like got to sleep in the car that night. You know, we're straight into it. So we see a a pet store and like a Bunnings. We Go to the pet store and we buy a dog bed and that like like, flattens out the gap. (laughs) So we've gotten rid of the step, and then we go to Bunnings, we buy a banana lounge cushion, <laughs> fold that down in the back. We've got our blankets off the Eddie Had plane, yep. and then um, just uh, slept in the car in a Macca's car park in the middle of Germany that night. Wow. And, um, and then, yeah, 10 weeks just living in the car. Totally didn't phase us. Even, like, when we're in beautiful places and stuff, we just pull up on the side of the road, and um, we spent, I don't know, maybe 60% of the time in the Macca's car park because – they were usually open 24 hours. We could just get Wi-Fi service from yep. the corner of the car park. The toilets were usually not too bad and they sold coffee. <laughs> and so it's just like, I, I look back at that now and it's like, that is crazy. Mm. If my if I had kids and my kid wanted to do that, I'd be like, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's <laughs> stupid. But one of those periods of your life that probably really shapes you and you look back on it and you're like, how good is it to just have nothing and just go yeah. 100% all in and if you're in that stage of your life. It's just like, it's, you just embrace it so much. It's so good.
0: Dude, that's so cool. I didn't know that about you. Like that you, yeah, literally went to, so I'm assuming you one way ticket to Europe to give it a crack. Yeah, And I've heard, like, I love hearing stories like that of people in other sports like that who have just gone, yep, one way ticket to, um, I was listening to a podcast and, um, can't remember. Yeah, he was like trying to make it as a like as a soccer player, and he went to like Italy when he was like sixteen. Like, yeah, lived Heavy. with a, yeah foreign family, um, just gave it a crack, and it's like you're putting everything on the line, and it's so true. Like people, I feel like gravitate to helping people who are like, well, wow, they really want it. Like,
1: yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and it was strange because certainly at school, you know. You always have the impression that you're probably not good enough, you might not make it there. To be honest, when you get to the age of, and I think this is true in a lot of things, like whether, not that I've been to uni, but if you went to uni or sport or music or anything, whatever it is, by the time you get to 21, most of your, if you want to call them competitors, Mm. most of your competitors are gone. They just went to the pub and lost interest somewhere along the way yeah and you get to the age of 21 and you're still going there 100 yep. percent like tunnel vision full focus don't care about anything all you want to do is go sailing for me or whatever it is that yep. you're doing and then you look around and you're like oh, this person was like he won a world title when i was 17 and this person they were awesome yep. and i thought they were gonna you know be killing it at this stage and half of them are just gone most people just give yeah, up they've gone to the pub they kind of got scared yeah they that age where like responsibilities start to kick in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fascinating. And, and it's it's the all in, got nothing to lose, and maybe the people that had a little bit more to lose, or just like got worried or something, just yep. suddenly you look around like half a month there, and you're like, hang up yeah. a sec. I'm like, still getting better, still going hard, and and just going for it, and suddenly you know the horizon looks a lot better. Dude, that's really nice to hear because I f-
0: like I try and relate that to my own life. And I feel like that was the same when I started the business. When yep. and I started the business, it was like, there's a few people doing like businesses popping up this kind of vibe. And now five years down the track, it's like, they're not, not around or they've yeah. stopped or they've changed focus. And it's like, if you really are driven towards something, it's yep. a long term game,
1: isn't it? 100%. And um, yeah, it's amazing. It's, I, I had a one of my um, – I was working, like, the whole time I was doing the sailing thing, like, I probably until, uh, I don't know, I was 23 or something, like, really funded it all myself. Like, I was working a day job just at a sailing shop. And, um, you know, was one of the f- most people I was racing against ha- had funding from the government and that sort of thing to go race um, at those levels that we were sailing at. And um, I was sort of really funding almost all of – it. Myself and like doing you know fundraising and stuff, but like really working a day job as well. But um, I learned some really good lessons from that boss and stuff. And he had a sailing background as well, not like professional or anything, but it's just like the fact that you often think as other people as lucky, but in in the in most you know not talking tax world, but in terms of business or um, sport and success and stuff, it's like luck is just skill plus opportunity. Mm. And sometimes you feel like you've got all the skill that you need and you're good enough, but you're just not getting the opportunity. But you've almost always – just got to wait. And it's a battle of perseverance and just waiting it out. And when the opportunity does come, you have to be ready. Mm. And that is just so true in sailing. It's Mm. this sport that constantly evolves. One year to the next, there's a new series um, that's been developed or new boats or new skill sets required, and things just constantly change. And then one day the phone just rings and it's like, are you good to go or not? Like, are you you know, have you done the work? And yep. here's the opportunity and you've got to go. But, um, yeah, that really resonated with me a lot, like skill plus opportunity yeah. and just being able to wait. Yeah, and like that hard work piece to create the opportunity. Yep, 100%. Yeah. And then again, like, you know, the opportunity comes along and you look around and there's like all those people that you thought were going to get it or thought at this point in your life would be ahead of you, They're they're not there at that time. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah, Strange. cool.
0: That's, that's wild. So mid-20s, so you, how are you and your mate going in these competitions?
1: Yeah, we're sort of, certainly for the resources that we had, we're doing really well. Basically, we had one boat, we would send it to Europe and send it back and we'd race the European circuit, but the shipping's like two months. So for four months of the year, we've got no boat. Right. And so... Yeah, we had, like, quite a bit of bad luck along the way. But we were doing... I think people could see that we were sort of overachieving for what we had. And our results were good enough to keep us just in the Australian team and yep. just get a little bit of funding. And, you know, we were basically just hanging there. The And so at this time I was training to basically go to the Olympics. That's what it was in yep. the Australian sort of, yeah, Olympic squad. Sailing in Australia is one of our most successful sports at the Olympics. And so it's usually sailing and swimming. The swimming's probably a little bit better because they have more races and stuff, but um, sailing certainly is one of Australia's most successful sports. So the reality is, if you're going to be a sailor for Australia, you pretty much got to be in the top three of the world or you're not going to get sent to the Olympics. Unlike the swimming where 100 metres butterfly turns up and there's two or three Aussies in the race in sailing, there's only one Australian team in each boat. Yep. So at this stage, I had two people, two fellow Australian teams that were both in the top three of the world. Yep. So for me, it was like, okay, if I sailed for a country that was no good at sailing, great. I'd be going to the Olympics with the results I have. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably, you know, maybe just make the top ten at the Games or something, maybe. And that may- And you could look at that and be like, okay, that's – That's great. Like, I wish I was from a a terrible sailing country. I'd go to the Olympics. Or um, I can race for Australia. If I do go to the Olympics, I'll probably get a medal, which is great. And if I don't go to the Olympics, I get to train with the best in the world and the best coaches in the world and become a really good sailor. And then I can now leverage that and move out of the Olympic sailing into the professional world, which is, you know, Yeah, like moving into this sail GP sort of stuff, the bigger teams, the professional teams and other racing circuits, which, to be honest, massively interested me anyway, because the boats were faster and bigger teams and it just looked like way better um, for my skill set. But so pretty quickly after the first year in the squad, I was like, right, this is a really hard path that I'm on if my goal is to go to the Olympics and it's going to take eight years or more. Yeah. Or I can just get as good as I possibly can, wait for an opportunity and then get out of here and go actually, you know, do another part of sailing, which is the best thing I ever did. And and even now, you know, I have, if I want to go train for the Olympics, I could. And, you know, I basically never would. I, lo- I like love what I do now and it's. Mm. I wouldn't rather do anything else.
0: Yeah, cool. So you're at like this crossroad piece within your industry yep. of going, okay, do I go down this route, which is the Olympics, or do I go... Down this, this kind of unknown route Which is like the professional
1: circuit Exactly Yeah And again like yeah A lot of sailors being like You know they're number five in the world But there's another Aussie that's in the top three And they get sent to the Games And they'd sort of spent I, I'd seen examples of this where yeah. They basically get really disheartened They spend 12 years in the squad Never went to a Games sort of thing And, um, mm. and it can be a real sort of trudge In the grind. end But Um, seeing the opportunity in that situation and actually you know what you are one of the better teams and better sailors in the world and how can you put your skill set to use otherwise Mm.
0: yeah love that that's cool man so cool so you mid-20s and then you start to do some stuff with like Red Bull and yeah what's the next kind of chapter look like
1: yeah so this is what why I love sailing so much is we're like, yeah, doing our normal thing in the Olympic um, scene and then this event pops up and it's called the Red Bull Youth America's Cup. Yep. So most Australians probably know of the America's Cup. And at the time it was in these, this is right on the time where they invented this foiling technology. Yep. 2013, I think. And this event comes along. it's called the Youth America's Cup. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like they're going to let young people, get on a team from each country and race these like really incredible catamarans. And so that was the first experience I ever had of standing in a big team and standing on a big cat and going really fast. Yep. And I just was like, it was a, I couldn't believe that they were going to have this event actually happen. Like a lot of people were saying, Oh, you know that you can't give these boats to young teams and stuff and they're going to destroy them and this and that. But so a, I just had to get my head around what was about to happen, and B, the fact that I was on that team, and um, and yeah, we were going to go to this event and race was like epic. But that was certainly the crossroads where I was like, yeah, i I was all in on the Olympic thing, and then it was like an immediate tack over to this other path, mm. and um, and going down the big boats, big teams. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's cool. And so, how long did you go in that type of uh, with those youth teams? Because by all reports and from what i know you were quite successful (laughs) in that space yeah and you're quite a modest guy so can you share with like the listeners you know some of the results that you gained from that
1: yeah so we actually um we went to the we went to this youth america's cup and the australian squad was epic like if you go five years later after that event i don't know there's Quite a few Olympic medals from the sailors I was racing with, and now half of them are on the Sail GP that I race on now. And you know, the squad certainly was extremely good and went on to some really big things. We actually had the worst luck possible in the event, so basically, the boat broke. In the fir- like, the f- it, at the time, it was the biggest race of our, our lives, the biggest thing any of us had ever done, the first time we racing on TV, you yeah. know, all this kind of stuff, and the first race. At the first turn, the boat broke and essentially one of our sails just fell out of the sky. Right. And it was like all over in the first race. It was Duh. like, you know, there was many races to come, but with that last place, we knew that we could never really get the result that we wanted. And so it was like this strange time of like something you'd built up so much and then having it ripped away from you through no fault of your own, like literally just a piece of the boat failed, which... Yep. For whatever reason and it was um it was really we were all like devastated but it really sort of lit a lit a bit of a fire and a bit of like um you know still had something to prove and like some grit really yeah it wound up the grit and (laughs) it just made uh, for me particularly I actually had it printed like there's a photo of our sail halfway down in the sky and you can just see all of us stood there looking at it and we're all just like devastated and i actually got it printed and i had it on my wall for years really blown up massive just because it was like i think it was something that really drove me to still prove you know what we had and and keep pushing hard you know it may let's say we like went on and won that event i think it might have like you know, not had the same effect if mm. if what had happened happened. But basically, yeah, within a few months of that event, another big team called me that was racing on, let's say, like the second highest circuit in the world, something called the Extreme Sailing Series. This other team called me for that. I started racing with them, went really well. And then, you know, it all sort of snowballed on. And, you know, from that style of sailing, I ended up with um two world championships in... <laughs> In the um something called the World Match Racing Tour, yeah. um I was racing with a bunch of Kiwi guys and we ended up kinda having we won two of three world titles. We had more or less like three years undefeated on this um yeah, on on this really high level circuit. But sick. Yeah. Um I love so how you just talk. casually just just uh two world titles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like I'd never won a world title in anything and um and, yeah, at the time it was like the biggest, uh, yeah, the, probably the biggest sailing circuit in the world, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, so we – Nice yeah. feather in the cap. Yeah, it was a yeah. really good one. And um, it was that, sort of an interesting one because um, they, again, this is like how sailing – and I think it goes with life as well, right? Like the, the landscape changed immediately. So this thing was called the World Match Racing Tour. Anyway, it used to be raced in slow boats. New owners bought the series. It's kind of like if you've got, um, um, I don't know, you've got cars racing around a circuit, and then you say, oh, we're going to make them go twice as fast, and it's now like this, right? So the whole landscape changes. And they go, right, now it's in these fast boats, which suited me and, and a big reason why I joined the team or the team called me that they did. So they go, all right, boats boat's really fast, and the winner gets a million dollars. So we were racing with three other guys and suddenly like a million dollar prize money had never been given in sailing ever before. Yeah, so wild. it was like suddenly all eyes were on this circuit and it was like, wow, this yep. is full on like in, you know, a year's time, we're going to be going to this final event, racing for a million dollars in these unreal boats. And luckily, the, well, yeah, I say luckily, but <laughs> the team that I joined was like, yeah, we were just sort of made for it and had a really good dynamic and everything else went, yeah, went yeah. well but.
0: That's fantastic, cool man. So and now, that's the tail. Like that's 2016 to yep. like 2018.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And then you start racing at the Sail GP level. Yeah, for Team China first.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we finished. Um, yeah, we were sort of racing 30 foot boats that were some were foiling and some weren't, and so it was it was like quite extreme for the that period. Yep. But, um but then yeah in 2019 this new series started called the sail gp and that's when the boats went um, went really turbo and when they even announced their plans like these boats had been raced one boat versus one boat at at that time and then they said look we're going to get these boats we're going to make them go even faster and we're going to race 10 boats on one racetrack." and it was like mind-blowing everyone was yep. like you know this has never been done before essentially What continues to happen in sailing is um, event organisers and designers come up with ideas and build boats that at the time, more or less unraceable. like We can barely sail them and we can barely race them. And then we get better and better and better and we get them more under control. But certainly in the initial stages, it's like completely overwhelming for everyone. Mm. And um, so it's really cool sort of aspect of it that like we're being asked to do things that no one has done before and we're not capable of at the time. But it's amazing how quickly you can progress when you have to. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, 2019, this thing starts, Sail GP. It's the next biggest and fastest thing. And I joined the Chinese team, um, which is cool. Basically, there's like two Chinese on our boat and four um, non-Chinese. Um, some teams are fully – like the Australian team is f- almost fully Australian – they're a really good sailing country, or we're a really good sailing country, but for a developing country like China, they say you can have more internationals on, yeah. and the rules um, are set different for different countries. Um, but yeah, join the Chinese team, which is epic for the first season, and then yeah, at the end of the first season for sponsorship financial things, basically um, we were at a training event, and uh, we turned up, and then these Spanish guys turned up, and then we found out that the Spanish team was taking over the Chinese team, and... Um, yeah, our boat was gone, and we were out of the circuit, and um, that's sort of how the sport goes at that time.
0: Yeah, wow. And then COVID hits. Yeah. <laughs> Far out. Yeah. And so the sailing the whole circuit, everything just goes on hold, and you come back to the peninsula, and I suppose my take on, you know, because I was hearing like you know through through Patty. Um, who's been on the show as well, yeah. but also your, your brother-in-law. Yeah. Um, you know, that you were kind of contemplating going, okay, is this, what does this mean for my work? What does this mean for my career? Like, can you take us through that as well?
1: Yeah, massively. So I, I guess to give people an understanding, in 2019, I, f- I spent over 450 hours flying. Yeah. So, you know, I... In general, from 2013 to 2020, I would work about 150 days a year overseas. And yep. yeah, and it's in no logical order. So every two weeks, I'm basically flying to either back to Australia, to Europe, the US, or the Middle East, um, and a bit of Asia. But basically, over 450 hours on a plane each year, which is just insane. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, I was meant to fly out to Oman, um, in the Middle East for the next event, and then, yeah, it was um, borders closing and and all the rest of it, and it was um, it was obviously a huge shock. To be honest, at the time, it was like, oh, you know, a few months off, this could be alright. Yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> okay, surfing, and you know, if it's more Do than a few months, I might yeah. like go to the snow and yeah, live up the snow for a bit, but um. <laughs> If you had it told me at the time it was going to be two years, mm. would have been a full meltdown. Yep. Um, yeah, pretty devastating as it turned out. But uh, yeah, that was initially it was like, oh, this might not be too bad. But then it was suddenly, yeah, pretty, pretty ugly.
0: Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that that period of your time ta- of your life being in Europe when you were like twenty? Do you think that served you? Like ten years later, or like you know, eight years later or so, going right, I'm back at like, not square one, but like I'm back at this unknown process. Yeah. I have to just keep doing what I was, do- what I've always done. Yeah, keep training, keep my eyes on the prize, be optimistic. Like,
1: yeah, definitely. And and that um, that boss I had at the sailing shop, some of his. He used to always tell me that um you're never too good to sweep floors.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Right. And I i try to live by that and remem- remind myself of that quite a lot. Yep. Never too good to sweep floors. And you can always go stack the shelves at Dan's. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it was um, you know, if it all goes bad, you know, you'll be fine. There's a job, What's the you worst can case do scenario it scenario type thing. Everything you've got till now yep. will always be there and it's a and it's you you've got it. You know, you always have that. But um yeah, if this shit hits the fan, you know, just go get another job, start again, yep. keep going. And so that's kind of um it's kind of what I did because we just bought a house January twenty twenty. Yep. Every dollar gone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so if we hadn't bought the house it would have been like, Oh sweet, got a pile of money, everything's sweet, yep. like we can last for a while, you know, got a yeah, yeah. got a good stock, but and it run was life. it was just um yeah, it was hilarious that, yeah, we'd literally just completely emptied the bank account. And it was always an investment, right? So we bought it and someone else lived in it. But at the time, I was like, yep, got to get a job. Mm. And um, I just rang around all my mates and stuff. And I started like, I was just chopping down trees. This thing I spent like four or six months or something, just um, chopping down trees, working with a mate who was an arborist and then hurt my hand doing that. And then I went back to the hobby shop and was just working back at the sailing shop grinding away and um yeah just get on with it i don't yeah. know like it was um it was just such a crazy time and then um and then yeah when when the world the, the i guess the hard thing with sailing is people are like oh can't you go race in this country they're open or go race in that mm. country they're open but um for every sailing event we need people from every country yeah so if some countries were locked down, then, then there was no sailing going on because we yeah. needed people from everywhere. You yeah. know, people on the teams were from all over the world. So um, it was highly difficult for it to kick off. And it wasn't until uh, early 2021 that, you know, the sailing world sort of started to come back.
0: Yeah, that's wild. And so, <clears throat> and now you're with Team Germany as a flight controller? Yep. Yep. Take us through like a typical, like, what is it? Was it, let's say, a typical six months of, of your year? Because sure. I'm always like, hey, man, you in the country? Do you want to serve? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I'll be back in like a week or, or, yep, let's go now. Like, yeah. You, your schedule's pretty, pretty wild. Um, yeah. Give us a snapshot.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, it is, uh, it it's a little bit better now. So, um, My schedule at the moment, I I more or less know what I'm doing. I probably know most of my schedule for the next year, which is great. And certainly through 2021 and 22 was something that was grinding me down where I was sort of in and out and, uh, you know, waiting for the phone to ring and COVID and lockdowns and um, hotel quarantines and stuff. But so at the moment, I'm basically our busy time of year is from let's say like May to October Mm -hmm. and essentially – uh, Yeah, I'm pretty much on a on a plane To either Europe, the US Basically Europe or the US Every sort of two weeks One or two weeks So um, I just got back from LA The week before that I was in Italy I had two weeks at home And then before that I was in Portugal And then uh, Chicago And then, you know, had a few weeks at home Before that I was in San Fran And this is just going to sort of keep going on to October So um, I'm here now for three weeks And then I'm back to... Um, Europe for six weeks. After that, but um, essentially, yeah, flying. Um, Melbourne's about as far away as as you can get from most of my racing. Um, but yeah, certainly May to October sort of time is super busy and just uh, lots of flying. Um, yeah, just one week. The next is no real downtime. Mm. Um, but yeah, most of the time, just on planes.
0: Yeah, and and so how do you how do you keep yourself? because um, one thing I think to be mindful of as a professional athlete and I'm just imagining this because I've never been one myself but I imagine there's a lot of prep not just physical but like mental um, even spiritual as well I imagine like can you talk us through some of the prep that you do like day in day out or yeah. um, between events or leading up to events
1: yeah so I, I certainly at the moment what I do on the boat is um, quite strange I guess it's, uh you know, a lot of people on the boat, pretty much everyone on the boat except for me is multitasking, right? They've got 10, 20 things happening at once and they're always trying to do all these things and prioritise and make decisions and sail the boat well. For me, flight controlling is like this huge single tasking. All I do is this one thing. I stare at this one piece of the boat and I'm just trying to keep the flight, the height of the boat as accurate as I can. And it's done probably 70, 70% by like visually what I'm looking at and 30% by feel. And so if I, uh, I guess recently like my biggest area that I'm sort of working on is like my ability to focus and uh, what I would call mental toughness is your ability to do a task without being distracted. And there's a, there's constantly like a million things trying to distract you whether it's what people on the boat are talking about, what might be happening on the race course, and I'm just trying to zero in on exactly what I'm trying to do as accurate as possible for a race is 12 minutes. So for 12 minutes, just trying to focus on that. So yeah, as you say, like my job on the boat has become this huge sort of um, mental role where it's, you know, everything's happening sort of between my ears. Um, Whereas typically all the way up till now, you know, a lot of my role on the boat has been very physical and like that Mm. classic multitasking sort of sailing. But now I'm in this very strange role for me where it's all about focus. And, uh, yeah, so trying to do a lot of work on that. Um,
0: Is it like playing chess and stuff like that? (laughs) Or like what what are some things
1: that you do to improve your focus? It's strange because it's something that if you were to ask me normally, day to day, my focus is terrible, you know. (laughs) Georgie, my wife, she constantly says that I've got ADD and like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I am, I think I am like quite a scattered person. Like I, you know, I'll have a bunch of jobs I need to do around the house and I'll be doing four of them at once, kind of Mm -hmm. doing half of them right and half of them wrong. And I am terrible at keeping my mind on track. So it's very strange that I've ended up in the job that I am. But when I go, I'm obviously like addicted to extreme sports and the feeling that that gives you and i relate it very closely to like surfing and i think a lot of people similar to me are like this where it when you catch a wave and you're surfing you think about nothing else Mm. other than you're not even thinking about what you're doing it's like your feet and your body is just a natural extension of your brain and all you do is feel you just feel the wave and and it's kind of cliche to talk about but that's when you're brain shuts down and it's like you kind of at peace from all your little mm-hmm. thoughts. Like zero in and yep. you
0: know, state of flow.
1: And that's exactly what I get when yeah. I go sailing this boat is um, all the other thoughts just sort of disappear and um, and I'm able to do that job very well. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much because it, it gives me that same feeling as when I'm skiing or surfing or whatever it may be. Um, but that's a huge aspect that I'm trying to work on A lot right now because there's obviously like many things you know um many things you can do to improve that um in your life it's it's quite an interesting sort of subject
0: yeah totally so man what are some of like the challenges that you face like some of the rougher times with your profession because i think the part that i'm always fascinated with with professional sport is that I get the vibe, unless you've signed, like, a contract for a certain amount of time, there's, like, this lingering thing of, like, how long am I going to do this for?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people, you know, from the outside looking in go, oh, you know, that's amazing and stuff. But, yeah, it's hard to understand the negative side. And so I guess, for example, through 2021 and 2022 is I was essentially – filling in for teams. So um, I was, if ever a team needed a flight controller, um, which did happen somewhat often, um, I would fill in for them. So I basically, you know, the phone, this is like peak COVID, right? So to leave the country in Australia, you had to write to the government, get an exemption to leave, and then you would leave, like signing something that said you understand that if you leave, you may not be able to get in for whoever knows how long. So basically, you know, in 2021 the phone rings Can you be in France it, This is Monday morning Can you be in France on Friday morning And you're like Yes <laughs> And you know Like I've got a My wife Georgie and stuff And so we're there like Right Okay I have to do it Because it's like an opportunity to say with this amazing team And yep. like I'm off the circuit right now And I just have to say yes There's really no discussion or option You know if I want to do this I have to say yes So it's like yep they book your flights, they sort it out, they get your letter of exemption and stuff. You know that to return to the country you need to do 2 weeks quarantine. So you're away and no matter what happens like if someone gets sick or you need to come home quick, the absolute soonest you can get back is like 15 days. And so that was like oh that's pretty full on. Like mm. I've ne- I've ne- I've always been not here like 24 hours away, but I've never been over 2 weeks from getting yeah. home. Interesting. And, and so like yeah Leaving for trips like that, and then you know, I did uh, like I had you know we had to do a really long stint over there. I had to be over there for ten weeks. We usually I'd fly in and out, couldn't fly in and out obviously. So I did ten weeks in Europe, and then the week before I was coming home, um, Australia tightened their rules, and all the flights got cancelled, and all this kind of stuff. And um, so times like that is hard. And even in not in COVID times, like when I haven't been, uh, b- just before I only signed with Team Germany. Uh, about two months ago and before that time you know just waiting for the phone to ring getting calls that you can't say no to Mm. no flexibility in your schedule no idea what you're doing you know oh so-and-so's wedding is on this date can we go it's like i don't know Mm. and things like that you know there's no sick days there's no reserve it's not a football team there's no 10 players waiting to take your spot like in in our case i'm really the only one at almost in the world, you know, all the people that can do this job are already on the circuit, and there's very few. It's like uh, there's very few people ready to step in, so there's no sick days. If you don't want to get on the plane on Friday night, well, there's no option, you've got to get on the plane. Mm. Like, um, there's a lot of uh, it's the inflexibility that's hard to understand, but it's certainly over the last two years before And also, I signed mean, with this new team, it was something that was taking a massive toll, and I was just desperate to get off the roller coaster for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wild. Because the other thing,
0: the other cool thing that I've I've always liked and admired about you too, man, is like your ability to be able to just adapt to you know there'd be times where I'd be chatting to you and you'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm about to go coach the the Japanese Olympic team, or as you were just saying before we went on air, the time that you were a commentator for Seven, mate. Like you've done many different things, and you always seem to like just say yes and. Figure out how Or or make it work Yeah Like I feel like that type of mentality Has served you well And and serves probably professional athletes well In general too Being like a a Yep I'll figure it out type thing or make it work
1: Yeah And Something that's become really Apparent in the last few years is um, You never really know what's good and what's bad Okay And it's Something I've what's
0: like sorry what's you been like as in
1: yeah so things happen in in your life and your career and stuff and uh immediately you have an assumption or a knowledge that this what is happening right now is a good thing or it's a bad thing yeah. and so often you're wrong yeah or it's not how it turns out and i'm not going to say like you know Someone you know dies, right? I'm not going to say, oh, could be good. Like, obviously, no. But um, in terms of, like, career and past and, like, that kind of sliding doors thing, when something doesn't work out and you end up going down this Mm. path and you look back and you go, wow, I can't – like, that was actually the best thing that sort of happened. Yeah, cool. As you say, where, like, with uh, Team China got cut, um, bouncing around through other teams – to where I am now with Team Germany, I'm so much better off. Having had that experience with different teams in different roles and I'm so much more of a well-rounded athlete and a way bigger asset to the team now, having gone through that. Um, but at the time, you know, it was all bad. Yeah. It, was the, it was the worst thing that could have happened and, like, the worst thing for my progression. But I have it's happened enough to me now that whenever something that I do assume or presume to be bad... I have that little thing in my head that you know maybe it's not maybe just embrace it keep keep going down you know whatever the next path is or the next option um yeah yeah that's cool um where do you see
0: you know last two questions really like where do you where do you see your career progressing and and is it just a matter of like most professional sports being like i just want to be able to do this as long as i can
1: yeah, it's um, it's uh, that's a good question because certainly you know I've just um, rejoined this team for like sort of as full time, and you know a few years down the track, you know I want to be winning, winning the title at the end of the season. You know, for for sure, the goal over the short term, like the next five years, is to stay in this team, be successful, and and you know get some wins. But um, I. The, there's lots of. Uh, I think I have a good balance of going as hard as I can with my work and sailing, and uh, but also enjoying the rest of uh, my time off and and the other things that I do. So I have options to, you know, work like with GP I work like 150 days a year, or so, say, and you know, there's opportunities to do all kinds of other sailing things to fill in the gaps. But for me, I'm like highly focused on going surfing, going diving, going skiing. And um, instead of going – and I find that I perform best at GP when I'm rested and had some time off and enjoyed the other things and haven't just been grinding away yep. um, in something that's not actually, you know, what I need to be doing. So I sort of uh, – yeah, I guess I want to – I've probably got, you know, you would say five or ten years – um, to keep going at Sao GP, but at the same time, I'm trying to like massively enjoy life as much as I can, and yeah, yeah, um, and and yeah, take all the the opportunities to do the fun things, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of strange. It's like a yin and yang balance, exactly. And I see there's many examples of people that you know um, overextend themselves, and you know, just constantly working, doing all this other other commitments and stuff, and it and you know things get worse or the results don't come and that sort of thing. And I'm really conscious of, like, finding the right balance between um, work and travelling for sailing and then, like, going off and having my time off and, yeah, yeah, making the most of the days off that I have as well to, like, uh, yeah, have lots of fun and keep the results coming on on the professional side of things, yeah.
0: Yeah. What advice have you got for, like, young people or, or, you know, individuals who are considering that that type of professional sporting career?
1: Like yeah, I think it's... Um, words of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, and again, like when I was talking to career counsellors back in the day and stuff, it, I used to just think, you know, my plan B's when I left school, um, I used to just think, well, someone's got to do it. Right, like, or as I said, I was obsessed with finding a job that I would do anyway. Mm. I was just finding, trying to find something that I loved and got paid for. So my other options was like, yeah, I wanted to be a ski patroller. I wanted to be a heli ski guide. I wanted to be you know, like be the captain of like super yachts and like travel the world, like skippering these massive motor yachts or sailing yachts and stuff. So I had all these wild ideas of these other careers where it's something that I just epically wanted to do and I could find a way to get paid for it. And so I think just, you know, and people say this to you all the time, oh, I'll find something you love and do that. And yeah, I, yeah. I understand that it's way harder than it seems, but um, or probably way harder than it is, but just that, that if, if you're in that time in your life where you can just massively go all in on something, then just do it mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And if it's a few years and you end up back at square one, then it doesn't matter. You gave it a crack 100% yeah Mm. Just uh, don't worry about the end goal Just focus on the next goal
0: Yeah just on that man Like follow up question to that Did you have people who were like Oh come on James You should be like You know Yeah Maybe you should get like a 9 to 5 Like
1: All the time Go to uni Yeah Yeah All the time so Like so often And I just remember thinking like And some were more direct than others Yep and a lot of the time it was from friends and people that you know and um, and I just would think, well, what, what's the problem? Like, if I do this for another five years and I still have no dollars or no results or whatever it is, then, you know, what have I got? Like, yeah, I've had an epic time. I've enjoyed myself. I gave it a full crack. Like, I just didn't see the downside. I thought I was always going to be all right. Mm. And the idea of like getting a job to make money to have super when you're 65 like half the time you don't even make it to 65 like that was just like not even remotely on my radar yeah and um i don't know i think there is a lot of the time you know it's all i try i didn't try to be i think i just naturally was i was pretty arrogant on the inside but humble on the outside confident or arrogant. i don't know a (laughs) combo of both arrogant confident but people used to say yeah try and talk you out of it and you were just like zero percent of that registers and you're just like watch this like i'm gonna show you sort of thing drives even more doesn't it massively and i think um yeah i was uh yeah obviously you don't want to be Overconfident or arrogant on the outside But I think having that fire on the inside And just like knowing what you're doing And going after it is mm. You know Needs to be Respected and encouraged Yeah
0: I find Yeah Knowing more about your story now um, I love it because I find that a lot of Crew that go on to do Magnificent things in their In their chosen area They've all had this moment Of like Far out Is this going to work And like this Back up against the wall Going Man I I don't know Yeah It's unknown And It always seems to me As an outsider looking in That They're the building blocks To To greatness almost Like to If it's You know, in your case, sailing, if it's starting a business and people are like, why would you want to start a business in that? That's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. Or it's like a musician who goes, yep, I want to be a professional musician. Go, oh, you can't do that. There's no money in it. Like, I just love these, love the stories and and people that go, you know what? I'm just going to, just going to keep going. I'm going to prove it wrong, prove them wrong. It's really admirable, man.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even – st- as you say, you hear stories of it all the time and it's like – it's having, yeah, the right – like not super blindly just charging at something. Like you've got to do the, do the research, ask the questions, talk to all these people and you've got to like, you know, be really broad and um, considered in your sort of approach. But, yeah, just putting in all your effort I think is the main thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's all about – um, how hard you work and and just going, yeah, putting in the effort. Like, uh, yeah.
0: Putting in the effort.
1: Are you got to put in <laughs> the effort. Because, and, and a lot of people, you know, they just run off their logic mm. and, you know, if something makes logical <coughs> sense in their head and they just go straight at it and you're like, you haven't done, you know, and a lot of the time they're the ones that sort of fail or it doesn't work out because they've just got this idea in their head, it makes sense and they just go for it. And it's not the case. Like, yeah, you've got to absolutely do research and ask questions and be really, um, yeah, considered in what you're doing. But yeah, mm. putting in that putting in the work.
0: Yeah, nice. If you weren't sailing, what would you be doing? <coughs> Professional surfer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at now at, I'm 31, and now I look back and I'm like, hmm. I probably, you know, heli ski guide or super yacht captain probably wouldn't would be coming towards its end of its. <laughs> End of its time, maybe now, but I think, um, yeah, I think I would be probably living on a mountain at yeah. the snow, or um, or yeah, living on a boat, working in some way, but um, yeah, one of the two. I don't know, just chasing the the good things in life, and I think uh, I left school. My number one goal in life was to have as much fun as possible, and if I was going to die, then it was my life would be uh, ranked in how much. I filled up the bucket. Yep, and I think um, I'm going pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. Last question, and I got to honour his uh, theme music as well—the uh Dan Linardi special. Taco, taco,
1: I'm roaring. <laughs> I'm brewing. I'm yeah. I'm soaking it up. Taco, just thought I'd drop you a little late night surprise for you. <laughs> I'm not sure
0: if you can hear the sizzling. I'm just sort of stewing on that. Thoughts? I'm roaring. So, yeah, bro, what are you roaring about? That's awesome. Can be
1: sailing or – but I think there's a few other things. Um, I, th- it, I think all – most of my day is just spent about chasing that feeling of – that that thing I was describing about where your, your mind is quiet and you're just in the moment something i'm in day-to-day life I, I really struggle to be in the moment and it's so anything that gives me that so surfing or sailing or skiing snowboarding all that stuff that's what i'm just constantly uh looking for constantly yeah looking for the next one and um that's really what sort of fills my cup up in sort of day-to-day life and yeah just so fizzed up about <laughs> Just fizzing on uh, on that feeling Just, yeah, relaxing from my brain And just enjoying uh, whatever that feeling is I know you know it from surfing And um, some people get it at a music festival Or a nightclub or whatever it is You know those times when your brain just turns off And uh, when you're in that sort of pure enjoyment I think is uh, what I've been roaring about Since I was probably 16 or 17 And I don't know, it's addictive Yeah, it is and continue to roar about well into your thirties. <laughs> yeah, and you see, you see people the like-minded like you in their fifties and sixties, and they're still roaring about yeah. it. And you're like, yeah, that'd be right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> awesome. Totally, man.
0: And, dude, how can people see your updates and like follow your journey?
1: Yeah, sure. Easiest one, I guess. Yeah, Instagram. Um, most of the stuff's on there at the Sailor's Life. Yep. Uh, my name's quite hard to spell, so don't bother with that. <laughs> um but yeah probably instagram uh the sailor's life you can sort of keep up with the journey and yeah see some of the cool stuff that i get to do yeah
0: yeah i do uh, i must admit man your reels and the music choice that you have to your reels yeah. i'm always <laughs> like yeah sick tune and like <laughs> it just goes perfectly so yeah man appreciate you coming on the show bro uh,
1: thanks for having me that was fun